Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Life in the Son as we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Tonight we want to return again to the book of Ecclesiastes, beginning with chapter 7. And as we return to the book of Ecclesiastes, again, it is important that we make note of the fact that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon in his later years. After he had assiduously pursued to find the purpose and meaning of life in so many different things, in wisdom, in wealth, in fame, in building, in pleasures. And after his pursuit, which carried him into every area and experience of life, he came up with the conclusion that life is empty and frustrating. Solomon made the mistake of searching for purpose in life under the sun. And if your purpose is limited to under the sun, chances are you will come up as Solomon with the conclusion that life is a mistake, that it is not worthwhile, that everything is only filled with emptiness and frustration. But God did not intend for you to live a life under the sun. God intended that you should experience real life in the sun. In 1 John we read, and this is the record that God has given unto us, even eternal life. And this life is in the sun. And he who has the Son has life. There's real life. There's real meaning and purpose to life when you find the life in Jesus Christ. But life apart from him, apart from the spiritual dimension, living a life on the animal plane of a body-conscious experience and a body-conscious level, will lead a person to despair, even as the philosophies of today have concluded, that man will be led by reason to despair. Life is hopeless. Thus, man must take a leap into the upper story of experience, and man must have some kind of a non-reasoned religious experience to save him from the despair of reality. And so the philosophy led man to the point of despair by reason, and then his only suggestion for man is jump out of reason 
become unreasonable, take a leap of faith into a non-reasoned religious experience in order that you might not despair because life is hopeless. This is the conclusion that Solomon drew after trying everything. Now, as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a book of despair. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. The conclusions that Solomon came to are conclusions of natural human reasoning apart from God. Therefore, they are not to be taken as doctrinal truths. You are dealing with a man searching for life apart from God, and his conclusions are not doctrinal truths, except that they do bring to you the end result of natural reasoning, but not divine wisdom. So they show you man apart from God and the despair and hopelessness of man apart from God. And the conclusions that are drawn are in that kind of a background. They're not doctrinal truths. Because if you take the step into the spiritual level, you'll come to a far different conclusion of life. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, when God was giving the law to Moses, and because God could foresee down through time to that particular time in the history of the nation of Israel when they would demand a king. And because God knew that one day they would no longer be satisfied with him being king over them and would want a king, God incorporated even into the law of Moses 400 years before they ever had a king, God incorporated laws for the kings because God knew that 400 years down the line, the people were going to come to Samuel and say, hey, we want a king like the other nations around us. And because God knew they were going to say that, he incorporated into the law in the book of Deuteronomy laws for kings. Now, it is interesting as we look at the 17th chapter of Deuteronomy, as God is setting up the laws for the king. Beginning with verse 14 of the 17th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord said, When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me. And that's exactly what they said to Samuel. Set us up a king over us that we might be like the other nations. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among your brothers shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee which is not thy brother. But, he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. 
And it shall be when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest and the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein in the days of his life, that he may learn the fear of the Lord his God and to keep all of the law and the statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and the children, his children in the midst of Israel. But verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. It seems prosaic to declare God understands human nature. And God's laws are written for our admonition, and they weren't written in vain. When you set up a king, one thing a king isn't to do, he's not to multiply wives, lest they turn his heart away. Now let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 10. As we are reading of Solomon, remember he wasn't to multiply gold unto himself or silver or horses, but as we read in verse 14, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents. He had traffic of spices of merchants, all the kings of Arabia, he made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into one target. He made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went into one shield, and the king put them in the house in the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, he made a great throne of ivory. who overlaid it with the best gold. Down in verse 21, all of the drinking vessels were of gold. The vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver for silver was counted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Verse 27, And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones and cedars to be as the sycamore trees in the valley for the abundance. And Solomon had brought horses out of Egypt. He's not to multiply horses, not to go back to Egypt. Solomon's so far getting an F for the course. And as we get into chapter 11, but King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, and of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go unto them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives. He's not to multiply wives. Oh. <laughs> Flunk him. 300 concubines. And what does it say? And his wives turned away his heart. 400 years earlier, God had warned about this very thing. God had forbidden this very thing with the warning lest they turn his heart away. Solomon thought he could beat God. 
He thought he knew better than God. He thought he knew better than the law of God. But you don't. God knows your human nature better than you know it yourself. And God has given laws to protect you. For God knows what the consequence of the violation of these laws will be. So it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after the pagan gods of Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and of Melchum, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem. Actually, it's on the, if you've been over to Jerusalem, that hill that goes on up to the Mount of Olives down at the area of Gihon Springs. That is the hill where he built all of these, and it's in the sight of all Jerusalem. It's right across the valley, and it's in the sight of all Jerusalem. He began to build these pagan temples place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And also likewise he did for all of his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. So every time he'd marry a wife from some different area, he had built a temple for her so she could go over and burn incense to her god right across the hill where all of Israel could see. So Solomon had turned his heart away from God, and in turning his heart away from God, he lost the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And now he is an old man, and he is writing of his experience. The consciousness of the greatness of Jehovah, God of Israel, has passed from his mind. And he's trying to find life apart from God. And he finds that life apart from God is nothing but emptiness. Therefore, you cannot take as scriptural doctrine the conclusions that Solomon came to in regards to life and death because he is reasoning. This is the reasoning of man apart from God, and you need to look at the book of Ecclesiastes of that. Human wisdom, perhaps in its highest expression, yet apart from God, is foolish. As God said in Romans chapter 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And any time you and your human wisdom seek to find a purpose of life apart from God, it's foolish. Your wisdom has led you to foolishness. Now, chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes is a series of Proverbs. And of course, uh, Solomon was filled with Proverbs. We just have completed the book of Proverbs, of which the majority were written by Solomon. And in chapter 7, he does go into another series of Proverbs, uh, sort of unrelated again to each other, but just little sayings of, of, of human wisdom. A good name is better than precious ointment, 
Better to have a good name than to have good perfume. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now that sounds pretty much in despair, doesn't it? Oh, the day of a person's death is better than the day of his birth. <laughs> That's one who has become cynical because he has sought to find life apart from Jesus Christ. And in that case, it may be true, but living with Christ is a glorious life. It is better to go into the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of merriment. So he has taken a very jaundiced view of life, a very jaundiced view of pleasure, of joy, because apart from the Lord, it is all emptiness. It is all a sham. And because he was seeking it apart from God, he experienced the emptiness of it, and thus he became a bitter old man, bitter with life. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. It's just emptiness. Surely oppression makes a wise man mad, and a gift destroys the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. You always hear them talk about the good old days. He said, that's not always so true. The good old days when we didn't, when you women didn't have automatic dishwashers and vacuum cleaners and wall-to-wall -wall carpeting in your house and supermarkets down the block. But you all grew your own gardens, ground your own flour, used the scrub board, Oh, the good old days. <laughs> now, we have it pretty nice, you know. We always look back, though, and, and we think about the days of our youth when Orange County wasn't crowded, when it was full of orange trees instead of subdivisions. But there are advantages both ways. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. And by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those that have it. Money's good, but wisdom will give life to those that have wisdom. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? Well, who can actually 
do anything against the work of God. You know, we're powerless and helpless against the work of God. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that a man should find nothing after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. And there is a just man that perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongs his life in his wickedness. I've observed this. There have been good men who perished, died young in their righteousness. There were wicked men who lived many years. Therefore, his conclusion, now it's not scriptural, it's not biblical, I mean, it's not in the sense, it's not godly, human, looking at life, seeing that, you know, a righteous man died young and a sinner lived to be a D-O-M, became a dirty old man. He came to this conclusion, truly just pure human wisdom. Turn with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Ecclesiastes on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Ecclesiastes 7 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May God bless you and keep His hand upon your life, to guide, to strengthen, to bless. May the Lord be with you. May he minister to your life in such a way that you'll be very conscious of the presence of God. May he just burst upon the scene. And may you just recognize his nearness and his grace and his love and just be overwhelmed by the goodness of God. May the Lord bless, watch over, and keep you through Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As I look around for a godly example of what a Christian woman should be, I see a lot of women who are concerned about what they look like. But rarely do I see a woman who desires the reflection of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, Kay Smith has written a book for women entitled, Reflecting God. Kay teaches women godly attributes, such as how to be joyful when things aren't going so great, or how to be sincere when praying for others, or inspiring them 
or how to nurture and influence the people God has placed around you. As Kay teaches God's attributes, women will begin to have the mind of Christ. And as this starts to happen within you, outwardly you will become a reflection of God to a world that desperately needs Him. For more information on how to order the book Reflecting God by Kay Smith, as well as an optional study guide to lead a women's Bible study, visit thewordfortoday.org to see a preview of this book or call us at 800-272-WORD.